0: Welcome to the official Barclays Premier League podcast, brought to you
1: by Barclays.
2: Hello, I'm Jackie Oatley and welcome to you wherever you are in the world. Is there anyone who can predict this season's title race?
1: We knew
3: we couldn't afford to lose today. We couldn't let Arsenal get 11 points ahead of us today and we knew a victory would pull us right back in there and we're in a great position.
2: Mourinho's now 66 not out at the bridge, but that wasn't even half the story.
0: We knew that Chelsea would come at us from early on, but the way we formed second half was unbelievable. We're really disappointed that we didn't come away with all three points.
2: And is this Dutchman the top flight's new free-kick specialist?
3: You need to practice, you just need to go out there and perform and just do the two you will to
2: do. We'll be speaking exclusively to Aston Villa's Leandro Bakuna and Stephen Reid of West Brom. Former Toon star John Beresford explains Newcastle's recent resurgence. Plus, we hear from Tim Krul, Chris Hewton and Morgan Schneiderlin. Hello and welcome to the official Barclays Premier League podcast. I'm Jackie Oatley and joining me to discuss all the issues from another dramatic weekend of top flight action is a former Arsenal and West Ham midfielder Stuart Robson. Hi Stuart. Hello. Hello. We can easily predict this Barclays Premier League season, can't you?
4: You'd like to be able to predict the Barclays Premier League season so far, but at the moment, we can't. I mean, Spurs going down to Newcastle, you wouldn't have predicted that one. Manchester City losing at Sunderland, again, you wouldn't predict that one. And once Chelsea went 1-0 up against West Brom, you'd expect them to win the game. So it's been a very, very difficult one to predict so far.
2: Indeed. we're well, coming up, we'll be speaking to the West Brom defender, Stephen Reed about that 2-2 draw at Stamford Bridge. But we'll begin at Old Trafford, where champions Manchester United took a crucial three points off the leaders, Arsenal with former gunner Robin Van Persie doing all the damage with the only goal of a tightly-fought encounter. Well, Stuart, what was your assessment of the match overall?
4: Well, I thought Arsenal actually played very well in the second half. They controlled the game in the second half. But Manchester United, as Manchester United often do at Old Trafford, they pressed Arsenal high up the field. They made it difficult for Arsenal to get their passing game going. There wasn't enough fluency in Arsenal's attack. But in the second half, they were much better. They started to get crosses into the box. But I can never quite understand why, when you've got somebody like Aaron Ramsey playing brilliantly at the moment, why you'd want to go and play him out on the right hand side and I think that just lost some of the creativity in Arsenal.
2: Well let's hear what the two managers made of it all. Arsenal's Arsene Wenger but first of all United boss David Moyes.
4: This was a a big result for us today.
1: Arsenal have been been in terrific form this season and uh, we had to play well ourselves today to get the result. I think there's a lot of ups and downs. I think it's a close run league this year. There'll be a few shocks and I think we've had one or two ourselves in the early part of the season. I'm pleased that we're beginning to show a little bit more consistency, a wee bit of momentum
4: and uh, let's hope that we continue that. I felt in the first half we were too nervous and to rush our game too much and uh, lost too many balls. Second half, when we played composed and uh, real go and played our usual game, I felt uh, very, 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 very close many times to score. But it didn't happen. We have to digest that and come back after the break in a strong way.
2: Arsene Wenger there said they were nervous in the first half. That seems a little odd, bearing in mind they're top of the league and, and doing so well.
4: Just beating Dortmund away. They've played brilliantly over the first part of the season, playing with great confidence. To be nervous at Manchester United seems a strange sort of thing to say.
2: Well, the last team to stop Arsenal from scoring in a league match was David Moyes' Everton on 16th of April. That's 16 games ago. Something about Mr Moyes, perhaps. Well, It was a huge win for United, up now to fifth in the table and just Five points behind Arsenal. If they'd lost, it would have been 11 points. So that's a huge mental um, boost for the United players?
4: Well, it was a must-win game for Manchester United. Had they not won that, I think they'd be at the title race. I really do. But some of their better players came to the fore. You know, Robin Van Persie scores the goal, but Wayne Rooney was absolutely outstanding. I thought Jones in midfield really worked hard in the first half before having to go back into a centre-half position. But Manchester United worked hard all around the pitch to defend much better than they have done in the earlier part of the season.
2: Well, Van Persie scored in the last five Barclays Premier League encounters between the two sides. There was none of that business where you see a former player not celebrating against his former club, was there?
4: Well, I think Arsene Wenger said beforehand he's still 75% an Arsenal player. I don't think that's absolutely right. I think now Robin Van Persie, for the stick he's got off the Arsenal fans, has no love uh, for Arsenal. He's a purely a Manchester United player and you show how much he wanted to score that goal.
2: Well, the provider of Van Persie's goal was his strike partner, Wayne Rooney, who was well aware of the importance of Sunday's encounter.
3: We knew we had to win today at all costs. I think it's the toughest we've been to play against the thing, to break down and we defended really well and thankfully Robin got the goal for us and we got the three points, but I think it was a great time by everyone. We worked on free kicks and, and corners because um, as you know, Arsenal have got a lot of smaller players in the team and so we thought that could be an opportunity where we can get a goal and uh, thankfully it's paid
2: off. Great effort by everyone he says, but he's not going to say himself, but he was absolutely phenomenal. Why do you think he's in such good form and at the peak of his fitness now rather than last season?
4: Well, I think he's got the belief of the manager. David Moyes had him at Everton and obviously they had their argument at one point but I think that David Moyes has given Wayne Rooney's head. He wants him to go and play in the second striker position. He's encouraged him to go and press the ball all around the field and now you're seeing the Wayne Rooney maybe of two years ago when he is the link for everything good that Manchester United do. He closes the ball down, he sees passes and he will run beyond Robin Van Persie at times.
2: To prove that point since the beginning of last season, Wayne Rooney's had more assists, 14 in the Barclays Premier League than any other player. Well, there were a couple of incidents in the game, a couple of head injuries to Chesney and Vidic. What did you make of those incidents?
4: Well, I'm going to be a little bit unfair probably on Chesney because he went down, he looked as though he'd been poleaxed and a couple of minutes later he gets up and. There's nothing wrong with him. The Vidic one was a terrible one. When you see it in slow motion, his head's knocked right back. He obviously ended up in hospital, so maybe won't play for a couple of weeks.
2: Well, Arsenal were without Mertesacker and Rositsky, two players who've been key for them this season. They were out with a bug, and it came at the end of a very hard week, bearing in mind that big win in Dortmund. How much do you think those two factors played in that defeat?
4: Well, I'm not so sure about Rositsky whether he would have done anything better than, say, Kozola or Ramsey did, or the two holding midfield players. But I think Mertesacker got a lot of over the last couple of years, but he's now formed a really good partnership with Koscielny and they drop deeper at times, they squeeze up at the right time. So I think that partnership being broken calls Arsenal one or two problems.
2: And the fact that they lost that game going into the international break makes the Barclays Premier League table fascinating now.
4: It certainly does. You know, If Arsenal had won that game, they would be, in my view, favourites to win the Barclays Premier League. But having lost it, I think there's four or five teams that can still go on and win it.
2: Well, now it's just a point and a place above Manchester United, a Chelsea who left it very, very late to snatch a 2-2 draw at home to an impressive West Brom side. Assard Azard kept his call to stroke home a 95th-minute penalty to preserve Jose Mourinho's unbeaten league record at Stamford Bridge. The manager was asked afterwards if he was worried this run might come to an end.
3: I didn't think about it, really. If you ask me if, if I'm happy because I didn't lose, no, I'm, I'm not happy. Because I want to win the game, so for me it's not a big deal. One day I have to to lose at home, and and the day I lose will be a really a big day for me, because it's a day to remember how many matches I was uh, unbeaten. So. A big deal.
2: What did you make of that whole incident with the penalty and the fact that he was seconds away from losing that record?
4: Well first of all I don't think it was a penalty, I have to say I don't think it was a dive either, but I don't think it was a penalty I think he'd be more upset with the fact that Chelsea didn't play particularly well, they started the game playing at a slow tempo, they didn't create enough chances in the first half despite dominating possession and then when West Brom came out in the second half and pressed them higher up the field and started to counter-attack them really well, they had no answer to it and they were lucky to get back into the game so Chelsea aren't playing at their best at the moment
2: I was there and I spoke to Mourinho afterwards, I think we're all a little bit surprised by his reaction that he was so adamant that that was a penalty. Well, talking of which, one of West Brom's star performers on Saturday was defender Stephen Reid. And I'm delighted to say that he joins us on the line now. Hi, Stephen. Hi, Jackie. Now, Stephen, when I last saw you, which was directly after the game and you watched back that penalty decision, you were measured impressively, but devastated. You've had a couple of days to reflect now. What would you say about it now?
0: Yeah, it's a little bit difficult, obviously. So soon after the, the game to go in and do the piece, it's still full of emotion and just coming off the field. And obviously having watched the incident like I've done over the weekend, really disappointing. And it still feels like a bit of a defeat. The lads were so deflated after the game that we were almost robbed of that win. So yeah, very disappointed.
2: Can you give us an idea of what the bus was like and the atmosphere on it on the way back to the Midlands?
0: Um, There's a few of the lads that stayed down, there's a few of the lads that have gone away straight away on international duty, so it's going to be one of those strange weeks this week where most of the lads are away and really we could have done with a game next weekend to get that out of our system.
4: Stephen what was the game plan in the second half because you completely changed it didn't you because the first half you sort of sat deep and the second half you attacked the more. you pressed the higher up the field was that the game plan yeah. at half time
0: what we wanted to do first and foremost was to stay in the game for as long as possible we knew that Chelsea would come at us from early on they had a disappointing result against Newcastle the way we formed second half was unbelievable because we was a little bit deflated we conceded at a bad time just before half time but seemed to have the, the opposite effect it seemed to galvanise us and seemed to give us a little bit more confidence and every time we went forward in the second half. We looked dangerous. We caused some problems. We could have had maybe one or two more goals, especially maybe the one when Chris Brunt has gone through. We just sense a little bit of nervousness, maybe with a crowd at Chelsea and we're really disappointed that we didn't come away of all three points.
2: Taking that disappointment, Stephen, can you try and turn that into a positive in your next game against Aston Villa? Will you sort of use that to galvanise yourselves knowing that you were almost, or maybe were, good enough to win at Chelsea.
0: Yeah, I think so. I think the only really poor performance we've given this season is, is a way to Liverpool. Usually when we do come up against the bigger teams, if you like, in the Premier League, we perform well. We did that at Man United away. We've beaten Arsenal at the Emirates in, in recent seasons as well, and Chelsea a couple of times. So We can compete against the top sides, but it's important now, we when we come up against Villa in a couple of weeks' time, that we build on that second-half performance that we gave at Stamford Bridge and, and hopefully get a win in, in what's a Big local derby for the club.
2: There was a lot of talk in the build-up to the Chelsea game about Steve Clark and his Chelsea background and how close he was to Mourinho. Did you get a sense that it was a really big game for him in particular?
0: Yeah, I think so. I don't think you can go into that game without thinking of the the manager and his connection with the club and his connection with Jose Mourinho as well, the part he played Mm -hmm. and all the silverware that they won in his first year at the club. So, yeah, a little bit disappointed for him that we didn't get the result as well. With a few minutes to go, you're going through your mind what a result that would have been and to break that unbelievable home record that Mourinho's got in the Premier League with Chelsea would have been an unbelievable achievement.
4: What's it like working with Steve Clark? I know he's got Kevin Keane, who's a a coach. Who does most of the coaching there and who's the sort of man-manager?
0: gaffer. It's Steve Stark and we've got Keith Downing as well as first in coach. So Keith and Kevin do their little bits and pieces in, in preparation for the major part of the session which the gaffer usually takes when we're getting down to the, the tactical side of it and how we're going to play and how we're going to come up against the opposition at the weekend. The gaffer steps in and we work from, from early in the week doing a little bit every single session on how we're going to come up against the opposition. Usually the ones that are not likely to be involved will play as the opposition if you like and you work all week to that effect and it worked really well at the weekend. We've looked really impressive, except maybe for that game against Liverpool.
2: A word about you personally. You're 32 years of age now. You seem to be enjoying yourself at West Brom apart from at the weekend. But is there anyone in football who you'd say particularly influenced you from an early age?
0: I sort of go back to my days at Millwall, really, Jackie. The senior pros there sort of instilled in me the qualities I think that you need to make it in the, the modern game. I think that over the years has changed with the way the younger players are coming through. I just had great senior pros around me when I was at Millwall like the likes of Sean Dyche and Bobby Bowery and Scott Fitzgerald, Stuart Nevercutt, great senior pros that just put you in your place when you needed it and we had a good young team and if any one of us became anyway big time or whatever and how well we were doing, that soon cut you down to size so I think those sort of players helped me greatly when I was coming through, the likes of Tim Cahill, Paul all the ones that were coming through, it was just a great time and I think that really helped me to develop and, and stay in the game as long as I have
2: And just finally Stephen, looking towards the rest of the season, we know you had a, a very tough start to the season at West Brom and you had a difficult time at the weekend but so nearly came away with a fantastic result. What are you expecting now?
0: I think we want to build on last season. Last season, we started the season really well, up until halfway through. The second half of the year, we formed dips and we didn't have the best of times. I think if we can just show more consistency throughout the, the whole of the season, then I think we're going to be looking at getting into that top half again and I think that'll be another successful season for the club.
2: Stephen Reed, thanks so much for joining us.
0: Thanks a lot, Jackie.
2: Well, Stuart, as for Chelsea, they've now dropped five points from their last two games. It's not exactly title-winning form, but do you still see them ultimately as being right up there at the end of the season?
4: They'll certainly be in the top two or three. I think they've got a a manager that knows how to win games. They play very much away from home. They play a counter-attacking game. They should be solid defensively. They they work so hard on the defensive pattern of the team. The two midfield players in front of the back four work really hard as well. It's whether they've got enough in the centre-forward area. I know Etos scored goals. I know that Torres has played much better this season, but they still need the centre-forward to have great games at times for them to go and win the title. The wide players aren't doing quite as well as I thought they might do at the start of the season. So there's problems for for Chelsea and I think Mourinho's still struggling to get the balance right between the defensive side of the game and the attacking side of the game.
2: Well, coming up, we'll be speaking exclusively to Aston Villa defender Leandro Bacuna after another free-kick special against Cardiff at the weekend.
4: You're listening to the official Barclays Premier League podcast with Jackie Oatley.
2: A place above Chelsea and third spot is Southampton who saw off Hull City 4-1 at St Mary's on Saturday to make it their best ever start to a top flight season after 11 games. Well, Maurizio Pochettino most of us have to admit we said who when he came in after Nigel Adkins was sacked but everybody's singing his praises now. What do you think he's doing so right?
4: He's got the game plan right. He's got the best out of the players. I've seen them two or three times in the last month or so. They are an outstanding side. They press the ball high up the field. They've got great energy. They've got great team spirit. They know exactly what they're trying to do but they've also got creativity in the front areas I've seen Southampton play two of the best performances I've seen of any team so far this season once against Fulham and this game against Hull
2: Wow well the standout moment of the match was Adam Lallana's excellent solo goal in the first half as acknowledged by his teammate and fellow goal scorer at the weekend Morgan Schneiderlin
3: I have the chance to work with him for six years now and I see him growing as a player he's just fantastic you know he's got so much ability I think he's one of the best talent in England and uh, and he deserves that card up on today show again, you know, it's not hard because all the I, I focus on you when you get a call up and today, he just show that he deserved that. You know, it's just not his goal. It's our one performance was amazing.
2: Quite often, you see a wonder goal like that scored just before an international call-up, but he's done it after the international call-up and in front of the England manager. Just how good a player is he?
4: Well, I went to see him play as a young player, an under-17 game, when there was Agbonlahor was playing for Aston Villa, Theo Walcott was playing for Southampton, Dyer was playing for Southampton, and there was a player playing behind the main striker called Lalana. And on my notes, I put best player on the pitch. So that's how good I thought he was. Those other players got their chance before him. But Lalana was the creative. He had the vision. He had the intelligence. He's now beginning to show that at the very top.
2: Good news also for the England manager Roy Hodgson that he saw Englishman Ricky Lambert scoring a goal and providing two assists. He was also outstanding. And he's now scored every single penalty that he's taken for Southampton. That's 33 out of 33. Mr. Reliable.
4: He is, but he's also an outstanding player outside the box. You know, I was really surprised when I saw him last year. Balls being played into him. He'd catch him on his chest. He'd bring others into play. He's not blessed with pace but what he has got is good vision and he knows where the runners are going. It suits Southampton perfectly. He'll win balls in the air, he'll bring others into play and then they've got those midfield players and wide front players making their runs.
2: Everyone's singing Southampton praises, rightly so, but after the international break they have some very testing fixtures coming up. Arsenal away, followed by Chelsea away
4: going to be very difficult, the Arsenal game. I think they can cause Chelsea a problem. I think they might struggle at Arsenal. I think they're going to try and press high up the field and I think Arsenal might have enough to play around their pressure and cause them problems at the back. But I still think they've put in the best two or three performances I've seen this season and you've got to give credit to the manager. He's done a magnificent job since he's been in charge.
2: As for Hull City, this was their third defeat in four matches but they were all away from the KC Stadium. So why do you think they're doing so well at home? Why struggling so much away?
4: I think they approach the game totally differently. Steve Bruce at home, he likes his team to press higher up the field he gets his fullbacks higher up the field they play without so much fear away from home they start to play with fear they only play with one up front they drop people back into midfield they play three at the back to start with at the weekend that didn't quite work for them so I think it's the approach that Steve Bruce has that is causing them a problem away from home
2: or to Carrow Road next, where Norwich pulled off a superb second-half comeback to secure a priceless 3-1 victory over West Ham, which eased the pressure on their manager, Chris Houghton.
4: It's a little bit of relief, I must admit. We're on the back of some really tough games. Our performance and the level of performance, it hasn't been that bad. But, of course, we're on, on the back of two big defeats at the Manchester club. So it was good, firstly, to come back home here uh, and, of course, to play one of the sides that are not one of the top teams. We were certainly able to raise it in that second half. And apart from the goals, I thought we had some other very good chances. Thought we thoroughly deserved it in
2: the end. He said there was a little bit of relief. I think there might have been a little bit more than that. Their first win in five matches, and the pressure really was on them.
4: Well, you can tell by his reaction, not just on that clip there, but his reaction after the game, waving to the fans, punching the, the air. It was a massive game for Norwich, having been beaten and, and so comprehensively beaten at Manchester City when they didn't defend well all around the field. They looked a lack of effort, you'd have to say at times, a lack of desire. They showed the desire in the second half, and he played two up front, and they worked really hard. They played for those four in midfield. I'm, I'm pleased for Chris Hewton because I know he's a coach. He goes out there every every day and wants to get the best out of his team. He tries to improve the team and I think he will get better as the season goes on.
2: And that win was one which they had to come from behind. It was a second half comeback. Hooper, Snodgrass and Fair scoring after that mistake by Jaskolainen which was absolutely key in that game.
4: Sometimes you need a bit of luck when things aren't quite going your way. You know, we saw Tottenham at the weekend when things aren't going their way. They didn't get the luck. Keeper made a great save. This time Norwich get that bit of luck with Jaskolainen making the... The, the error for West Ham.
2: Well, looking at West Ham now. That defeat drops them below Norwich in the table to 16th. Do you think they should be concerned?
4: I think they should be concerned. I've seen West Ham play on several occasions. Even the result against Spurs, it was a one-off. They didn't play particularly well. They played on counter-attack. Spurs had lots of the play and they had that bit of luck at the time. I'm not sure what the game plan is of West Ham. Sometimes they're playing without a striker. They're playing with a midfield player playing at centre-forward. Away from home, they drop far too deep so they can't then get players in support of the front player. So I would really worry if I was a West Ham supporter that things aren't quite going right there. And if they don't get it right soon and they don't get Andy Carroll back in the side, that could be a real problem for them. Do
2: you think that's what is going wrong this season is that they were building so much on the reliance of Andy Carroll, he gets injured and he hasn't
4: played? If you put all your eggs in one basket and Andy Carroll is their target, man, and that's the way that Sam Allardyce likes to play, there's no question about that. He's a manager that likes direct football. If you're then playing without a centre-forward who can win balls in the air and hold up play, you've got a problem. Andy Carroll was their big hope.
2: Well, another team to record a crucial home victory at the weekend was Aston Villa, who ended a goal drought of 451 minutes in the league to see off Cardiff 2-0 at Villa Park. Defender Leandro Bacuna scored the all-important opening goal with a superb free kick, something which Paul Lambert said came as no real surprise to him.
1: I thought he one against Manchester City, it was, was first class, but that one, I think the ball actually goes by the post and then goes back in. So, but Leo can do it, he's done it in training numerous times and uh, it's a fabulous goal. You look at the team we've got out there and the two young kids for the academy on the bench to shows you how how stretched we are. We've lost a lot of a lot of players in this little bit, so the breaks probably came at a good time, but I thought we were excellent, I really did. I'm
2: pleased to say we're joined now by the Dutch under-21 international, Leandro Bakuna. Thanks for joining us, Leandro. Good
3: morning.
2: Congratulations on that win. It was a wonderful free kick from you that ended Aston Villa's seven and a half hour wait for a goal, and it came at a pretty decent time as well. Yeah, it was,
3: um, it was a tough game. Cardiff was playing really compact, and uh, we had a difficult game, and on the moment it was like a relief for us like for me, for the whole team, for the public. So it was just to the right moment.
2: It was a wonderful free kick and you scored a similar one as well in the 3-2 win over Manchester City. We have a Twitter question for you from at Luke99. He says, how long did it take you to perfect that free kick?
3: I think a long time. <laughs> <laughs> you need to practice, practice. And if you practice, then uh, yeah, in the game it will turn to you and then
4: you will make goals. Leandro, Aston Villa don't really play with a lot of width. Do you provide the width down that right-hand side? Is that your job to get forward, get crosses in?
3: Um, no, it's, it's, I think um, it's everybody's job. If, if um, someone goes through the line and can whip the balls in, then they will do it. I think um, if you got a chance to whip the ball in, you will do it. It's, it's for everybody like who, who's coming through on the line. So it's not, uh, not only me.
2: Well, that win takes you up to 11th in the league table. How would you assess the start to the season that you've made?
3: We had a tough beginning of the season, tough games, Man um, City, uh, some tough games and I think we, we did really well and we just keep going now in the moment and uh, watch game for game and then ask, we've got to see where we're going to end.
2: You joined Villa in the summer from Dutch side Groningen for what everyone's saying now is a, a real bargain fee, less than a million pounds reportedly. How would you say you've settled into life in England? Is it fun?
3: Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's really good. I really like it in England. Um Difficult is different football than than Holland, more speed, more aggressive. It's like it's totally different and I think uh, it was the right moment for me to come to England and I'm just doing my job and try to improve my my game.
4: And has your manager Paul Lamberts, are his methods totally different to what you're used to in, in Holland?
3: Uh, it's not like uh, only the managers. Like uh, the whole football is different. Uh, I think if you compare like English football with Dutch football, a lot of difference. But it's just it's still it's still football, so it doesn't matter. So you just need to go to go out there and perform and just do the thing you learn to do.
2: Well, Leandro Bacuna, thanks very much for joining us, and good luck against West Brom in your next game.
3: Okay, thank
2: you. As for Cardiff, Stuart, that defeat leaves them two points above the bottom three in 14. Now, bearing in mind that they're a newly promoted side, do you think they'd have taken that at the start of the season?
4: They'd obviously want more points, but I think they would have taken it at the start of the season. I'm still, having seen that, I'm not convinced by what their game plan is. I'm not quite convinced what Malcolm Mackay is trying to do with the side. I've seen them win games when they've been totally outplayed, and I've seen them lose games when they've actually played quite well. They need more from their front players, they need more from the wide players. I think at times in midfield, their midfield players don't get high enough up the field to go and support the front player so there's a lot of things that Malky Mackay can work on but they're doing okay at the moment but they need to get some results pretty quickly after the break
2: Well next we'll be speaking about Newcastle's resurgence with one of their former entertainers and we'll be hearing from the man who this weekend had the game of his life
0: I'm delighted I'm over the moon this is a highlight of my career yes
2: Now it's time for our half-time tweets Manchester United's Robin Van Persie tweeted after the win over former club Arsenal the fans were incredible they really lifted us and were the 12th man thanks again to them even more pleased about winning at the weekend was the Norwich striker Ricky Van Wolfswinkel. yes 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 great comeback so happy vamos Chelsea didn't manage to beat West Brom, but a last-minute equaliser was the next best thing, according to defender Cesar's Piliqueta. Keeping the faith until the end is rewarding. Fans are always there. Thank you for your support. Well, speaking of support, after the surprise win over Manchester City, Sunderland fan George Clark tweeted, That's the best I've seen us play for a long time. We have the confidence to hold on to the ball and play. And finally, you know you're doing well when pop stars tweet about your club. This from Southampton fan and Seven Days singer Craig David. That beautiful moment when your team works their way from League One to being third in the Barclays Premier League. Hashtag respect. Now remember, you can keep up to date with everything that's going on in the Barclays Premier League by following at Barclays with a Y on Twitter. Hashtag you are football. Oh, here is Stuart Robson as we continue our look back at the weekend's top flight action. What is South Wales next, Stuart, where on Sunday Swansea and Stoke played out a six-goal thriller with Charlie Adams' 95th-minute penalty rescuing a point for the Potters? Manager Mark Hughes admitted afterwards they got lucky with that late equaliser.
4: Given our history, in recent times, we don't usually get them. So, listen, we, we take the break. There was contact. I think Stephen tried to uh, flick the ball uh, on. He was right close to the goal. And who's to say that if the, the lad hadn't gone in the way, it would have gone in anyway. So um, I can understand Swansea being a little bit of grief. We've had situations like that ourselves.
2: admits there was contact with Routledge's arm, but contact isn't the key here. Should that have been a penalty?
4: In my view, no. I I didn't even see the incident when it first happened, and it was only on the replays that you see it hit uh, Routledge's arm, but I certainly wouldn't give a penalty for that.
2: Well, Stokes started well. They went 2-0 up. Stephen Ireland's goal in particular was... A wonderful passing move and that really is significant of this new style under Mark Hughes.
4: Yes, he's he's playing with a new style. They pass the ball quite well. The problem they've had in previous games that I've seen that they haven't had enough penetration in the top third of the field. They haven't been able to break down the opposition. It's been passing for the sake of passing against Swansea. That wasn't the case. I mean, it was a brilliant move. Uh, Peter Crouch involved with it and when the ball does come to Stephen Iron, as he did for Manchester City so many years ago, making the right run at the right time and what a good finish.
2: What about the mental strength of Swansea that they showed coming back from 2-0 down to lead 3-2 almost to win the game, having played in Europe in the week?
4: They've got great belief in their manager. They've got great belief in their style of play. They know that they can break down the opposition if they get control of midfield. They play some wonderful football out in wide areas. And when Boney's playing... When crosses come into the box, he does look a threat.
2: To White Hart Lane next, where Newcastle left with all three points. Thanks largely to their goalkeeper, Tim Krul, who made a string of fine saves to keep the Spurs attack at bay.
0: I'm delighted. I'm over the moon. It was nice to celebrate with the, the back four and uh, grab each other and say, it doesn't happen very often, This uh, these kind of games. And uh, three points away uh, at Tottenham is a fantastic result. I think we've we've played better against someone. we played really well and we lost. And today we didn't play quite so well and we ducked it out. So as long as we keep grafting and clear sheets, we've got... Red me up front, Uh, we just keep scoring and uh, we say that, keep a clean sheet and uh, we will win. We've got a lot of
1: goals in our team
2: to discuss Newcastle's 1-0 win in more detail now. We're joined by a man who played almost 200 times in the Barclays Premier League for the club as the former Magpies defender, John Beresford. Thanks for joining us, John. My pleasure. Well, it was a wonderful result for Newcastle. Did you predict that one?
1: <laughs> no, I didn't. And I was also at the home game against Chelsea, uh, which I do all the home games and I didn't predict that one either. My coupon was absolutely blitzed. Um, they've been inconsistent this season. And then, as I said, I looked at the uh, the games coming up and I thought Chelsea at home, Tottenham away, you know, a couple of points, and I thought, yeah, I'd have took it. But for him to get maximum is phenomenal.
2: Loic Remy has made quite an impact since arriving on loan from QPR. That was his seventh goal in his last seven Barclays Premier League matches. Are you surprised by how much of an impact he's made?
1: Uh, I am a little bit. I mean, I think after watching him a couple of games, you could see his movement, his ability, and it shone out. He's one of these people you need to play on the shoulder. And I think what's happened is, I think that the players are now trusting in him problem with that what happened is, is that CSA's been moved out because he's the better player and I think if you give him the chances he'll get you the goals. But as I said before, the problem what's been happening this season, they've put some decent performances and then they've been awful. Sometimes you just didn't know what which Newcastle team was gonna turn up. I mean I only watched the highlights against Spurs but what was was nice to see, I know we all talk about flair and you know it's all about you know scoring goals. But Alaster I admit sometimes you know it's nice to see a performance when, you know, a lot of the back four who've took a lot of stick and they get the pats on the bike, you know, and it's great to see that I mean I know Tim got the uh, he, got, he gets the man of the match so to speak but he knows as, as a back four and, a, and him is the fifth man it's all about working as a unit and it's great when it all comes together
4: and what about the goalkeeper Tim Crawley it was a magnificent display from him he obviously kept the Newcastle in that lead have you seen a better performance from a goalkeeper for quite some while
1: no, it, it's, you know, it's, sometimes it's one of those days, you know, you just, you know, the opposition, you know, we've played in them games where you just think it's not going to be our day today just because of somebody's brilliance of your sort of inconsistency. But I mean, Tim, not last season. Last season he was okay. The previous season he was magnificent. He saved everything uh, when Newcastle came fifth. Um, last season he did okay. You know, he is a quality keeper. But you can see it again. He's growing in stature uh It's getting better and better. <laughs> the problem what's going to happen is is which there was talk of it uh, last season, but uh now we're talking about it again, you know the conversation that people have been about how how important goalkeepers are the big boys will come knocking. You'll get to a period of January and uh, it won't surprise me if somebody comes in for him.
2: In January even. Well, Tim Krull in that game made 14 saves. That's the most by any Barclays Premier League goalkeeper since Opta started recording those stats six years ago. But looking at the rest of the team, John, the French stars are now starting to settle in a little bit more as well as Remy. You've got Kabay who's been outstanding recently. Gouffron also and Mathieu Debussy. How do you think those French players have have taken time to settle in.
1: That is a problem, you know, with, with the foreign players. I think the biggest thing of all, which it's taken a lot longer than I expected, was is them understanding the way the fans at Newcastle want to play. The foreign lads, the French team, the, the game that they're usually playing is a lot slower. They like to build up from the back. Uh, the trouble at St James's Park is uh, the jury's faithful, and I've been lucky enough to play in front of them. They, they prefer the tempo a little bit higher. They want to see shots and to see excitement. And sometimes they get a little bit frustrated, and I can you can hear a little bit of murmurs within the team if it, things aren't going too well, and they're trying to build it up low And it's it's, it's a bit of a catch-22, you know. I can understand what the players are wanting to do. The fans aren't that patient. But if they get an early goal, it makes it a lot easier because then the fans settle down. But that's the problem, I think. Sometimes I think with Remy, he, he suits that. He he wants to get the ball in behind. He wants to sort of like you know get get on the end of things. So he he does quicken things up because he makes a lot more runs. So I think now, as I said, the team is coming together, think I think also so from that point of view. I think that the manager is also realising as well because I think he's setting them up a little bit more attack minded, you know, because of the back four. Uh, when colacini has been out, he's probably protected the back two a little bit more because he, he ain't got the trust of Coloccini organising. He, he's just getting the balance right. Uh, but yeah, the things are going great now for Newcastle. I, I know, and I think the the joys. You no, know, we're not going to finish in the top four, but you've got to get in that next sort of uh, Europa League. That's where Newcastle should be competing.
4: When I saw Newcastle at the beginning of the season, without Ben Arthur, I couldn't see where they were going to score goals. How does Pardew fit him into the team, Ben Arthur?
1: It's difficult. From the way Pardew sets up, he, he, he's very organised. You understand you know, when they haven't got the ball, how he wants to set up. The problem when you're playing Ben Arthur is you're not too interested uh, when we've got the ball. We've all played with players like that. Um, but also I always say, you know, once you do get the ball, and if you let him go, he, he can be a world-beater. Kind of want to play him somewhere of on the right. The trouble is when he's playing on the right. Because he waits so long to get the ball, sometimes it feels as though, well, I've been waiting long enough. Right, I'm just going to do it on my own. And then if it doesn't come up for him that day, he usually, you know, he's the first number that's going to pop out and uh, to be subbed. And so there's a bit of frustration there. Again, I think if the team's playing with confidence and they're winning, I would always have Ben Arthur in my side. It's because of what you said. He's a person. Other than Remy, he's the one who will get you a goal and will get, get you the three points.
2: And just finally, a very quick one for you, John. You're one of the more recognisable Barclays Premier League players. Well, you were back in the 1990s, probably because of your various hairdos, but before you played professionally, did you have to clean boots when you were an apprentice? Whose boots were they? Did you mind doing it?
1: Yeah, absolutely I had to clean boots, and I, and it does my head in that these apprentices now or YTSs don't do it. Going back to my first, I did Kevin Bond, Neil McNab. I was at Man City. I remember as a pro, when I first got my pro contract and I got my first boot boy, how proud and pleased I was that I could just throw my boots for the young lad, and I just think it's a trait that should be carried on.
2: Okay. John Beresford, thanks so much. Well, as for Spurs, it was their second home defeat in three league matches and it drops them down to seventh in the table. They're struggling to score, particularly at home. Why do you think that is, just nine goals in 11 league matches?
4: Uh, First of all, I think they play too slow a tempo and that's what the crowd have been upset about. Dembele's a good midfield player, but he takes too many touches and they don't get enough players in support of Soldado. The wide players often play too wide. The second centre forward, it was Ericsson against Newcastle, quite often comes deep to get the ball. So when Soldado... Soldado's not a player that's going to get the ball twist and turn and go and score goals by himself so he needs players to link up with he's good when players are passing from 10 15 yards away and they did it in the second half Sandro came on they got Paulinho higher up the field and suddenly they played at a higher tempo
2: the Spurs have only scored nine league goals this season yet they fired 73 shots on target that's more than any other team in the Barclays Premier League so how do you equate those two stats
4: well I think it's been a couple of games where they have been really unlucky with their finishes against Newcastle at the weekend in the second half they created numerous uh, opportunities it was only because Tim Cruel played well that Newcastle got their win and I saw them play against Cardiff where it was a magnificent performance by Spurs they had 20 odd shots but they still didn't they only scored late on so I think there's a, there's a combination of poor finishing there's been a combination of the crosses haven't quite been good enough and there's also they don't get enough players into the forward areas and they play too slowly through midfield If they can rectify one or two of those problems, I think Spurs can still challenge to get in the top four.
2: Elsewhere on Sunday, Manchester City also suffered a surprise defeat at the hands of a north-west side, going down 1-0 at relegation threatened Sunderland. So that was the best attack in the league, losing to the worst defence. How do you explain that then? Nice easy one.
4: Well, once again, I always see when Manchester City play well, they play at a high tempo. They pass the ball forward and then they make forward runs. Against Sunderland, I think they went out onto the field being quite complacent. They passed it slowly. They wanted to control the game you can't just pass for the sake of passing. You have to pass with penetration. And it was easy for Sunderland to get into good shape and defend quite well, keep their, their team shape, and they were well organised. And they counter-attacked quickly in the first half, and that caused Manchester City problems, obviously, for the goal.
2: That's the fourth Barclays Premier League season in a row that Sunderland have beaten Manchester City 1-0 at home. Let's hear from the match winner, Phil Bartley, who has asked what this result will do for the rest of Sunderland's season.
1: Uh, massive, you know, a massive team like Manchester City coming here and uh, who's getting a result like that, you know. Um we've got to take it on from here now. We've got two massive games away at Stoke and Aston Villa, and, you know, uh, we've got to go there and, and show the same commitment and desire we did tonight. And, you know, as much as that as passing the ball when we do have it, and uh, you can see the way we've been moving the ball uh, in a different way. And, you know, I say you can see the lads are enjoying it as well, and fair play to them.
2: Bill Bardsley says commitment, desire, passing the ball, the lads are enjoying it. Does that just sum up what was wrong under Di
4: Yes, and it sums up what's right about Gus Poirier because we know that Gus Poirier's teams, he likes to pass the ball, but he's also got, at the moment, a good defensive organisation and I think that Wes Brown coming in back into the side, you know, you'd know, you think after 22 months he'd look a little bit rusty, but he played brilliantly. He intercepted so many balls that were played into feet. He also anticipated the balls being played over the top and his understanding with O'Shea, particularly in the second half, was, was really good. And it was good to see Wes Brown back at his very best. And
2: Sunderland, the last team to finally keep a clean sheet in the Barclays Premier League. Well, as for Manchester City, that was their fourth away defeat of the season. But manager Manuel Pellegrini says he'll not change his playing philosophy. I
0: think I think we had uh, several chances, at least to draw or to win, uh, but uh, we couldn't do it. If I think what uh, will I change? I think that, that nothing. I think we are really playing well, but uh, points is that we just want four points away, and that's is, it's is not many points.
2: Pellegrini saying he won't change anything away from home, despite those four defeats. So that indicates that he thinks there's nothing too much wrong, is there?
4: I think there is. I saw them in pre-season. I saw them in a game against Arsenal, where they didn't defend well at all. They played too high a line. It was too easy for Arsenal to get in behind them. I also saw them murder AC Milan in a pre-season friendly, where they, I think, they were four or five nil up, and ended up being five four because they didn't know how to defend. And you don't win the, the Barclays Premier League unless you have a good defensive base. You, yes, you've got to go and score goals. You've got to get the balance right between the attacking side of the game and the defensive side of the game. At the moment, Pellegrini hasn't got that right.
2: How they miss company. Well, to Anfield on Saturday, Liverpool moved up to second with an emphatic 4-0 victory over Fulham to pile yet more pressure on their manager, Martin Yoll. Luis Suarez with another couple of goals. That's now seven in his last four Barclays Premier League games at Anfield. Does that make them genuine title contenders, do you feel?
4: At the moment, yes, because they're the second-best team in the league and when you watch them play, they play with great fluidity. The front two combine brilliantly together. I like the system of playing with three at the back and three in midfield and two up front. It all depends on who the wing-backs are, whether it's successful. But I think at the moment Liverpool look a very good side and I like the way Brendan Rodgers goes about his, his task.
2: Well, let's hear from another of Liverpool's goal scorers, defender Martin Skirtle, who was pleased with how they bounced back after losing at Arsenal last weekend.
3: That was the key for the game today, you know, because we lost the last game, so we wanted to send a message We are here and we are ready to fight, so I'm happy we, we could get three points today.
2: We'll talk about Fulham's weaknesses in a moment, but it was a very different match, of course, to the one at Arsenal. What do you think went wrong for Liverpool specifically in that game?
4: At Arsenal, I didn't think they had so much of a problem as just that when they conceded the first goal. I thought against Arsenal, Liverpool played well. I thought the system suited them. I did the game and I, I was commentating and saying Liverpool are a dominating possession at times. They know how to get it out to their wing-backs. The problem they had is that without having Johnson out at right wing-back and without having Enrique out at left, wing back, the wide players didn't get the crosses and they didn't cause Arsenal problems. And then he went to almost like a 4-4-2 and that didn't work for him either. So I think he's got to stick with the system. I think they've got great players in front areas. They need more from Lucas. I still think Lucas is lacking that athleticism to be the good holding midfield player. But if the back three can get a good relationship, I still believe Liverpool are a very, very good side.
2: Well, Liverpool's total of 32 shots in that Fulham match is the most recorded by a team in a Barclays Premier League game this season. Now onto Fulham. It was their fourth defeat in five Games and drops them into the relegation zone. And manager Martin Yole knows things need to improve and quickly.
4: They scored two goals from set pieces, and, and that is what you shouldn't do against a team like Liverpool. And after that, of course, uh, we had a big
3: hill to climb. And no, I would like to have a result. And uh, of course, uh, you would have liked
4: to play against uh, other teams, you know. And that is what we did when we played against Stoke or Crystal Palace or Sunderland away. Uh, they are probably the same as us, and, and, and you need these wins, and we did that. But we couldn't get a, a good result against the top
2: that defeat wasn't just about conceding from set pieces was it there was a lot more wrong with Fulham in that match
4: I'm afraid I saw them against Southampton a couple of weeks earlier which was the worst Barclays Premier League performance I've seen for quite some while they didn't show enough effort they didn't show enough organization they didn't show any resilience and that was exactly the same against Liverpool and if you perform like that over a couple of weeks you got real problems
2: talking problems Berbatov wonderful player on his day does he have his day often enough
4: when they're at home and when they're controlling the game, he's a wonderful player. He'll bring balls down on his chest. you link up with other players. But when you're away from home and you need your, because defending starts from the front, and if you don't defend from the front, your midfield players then are going to be overstretched. And when you look at Parker at the moment, looks a shadow of the player that was playing for Spurs a little while ago. You look at Sidwell; he can't get around the pitch because he's been played around far too easily. With no hang land in the in the back four, that's always a problem because I've seen Senderos play a lot, and he's got attributes, but he doesn't read danger when balls are played in behind him. So Fulham all around the field are be, being outplayed and, and they've got to sort it out quickly.
2: Quickly for Martin Yoles' sake. Well, rounding off this week's fixtures, we go to Selhurst Park, where Crystal Palace ended a run of seven consecutive league defeats, drawing nil-nil with high-flying Everton. And we can hear from Palace's interim manager, Keith Millen, who thinks his side can build on this result.
4: The good thing is we're creating chances and if we weren't creating chances, there'd be more of a concern. I, I do believe there's goals in this squad. I think there's enough quality to deliver balls into the box and we just got to work, keep working and get that belief. That we're going to score at the end of it. It's nice to come in here with a smile on the face, having actually achieved some points from the game. And um, if we're being greedy when you look at the the clear cut chances, we should have won the game.
2: Keith Millen says he had a smile on his face. He would have had a much bigger one had Jerome Thomas put that clear cut opportunity away.
4: What a good run it was from Jerome Thomas breaking the offside line. Why he went to chip the goalkeeper, I'm not quite sure. It was a a risky sort of a finish for him. But you saw that Crystal Palace were were working hard. They're working much harder for Keith Millen than they were previously. But they didn't have too much possession to really create too many opportunities against Everton.
2: Well, the Palace chairman, Steve Parrish, appointed Ian Moody as sporting director before the game and said that they'll appoint a new manager within the week. What sort of character do you think they'll go for?
4: They've got to go for an actual coach. They've got to go for someone who's going to go out on the training field and work with the players tirelessly to make sure he gets his ideas across. They have a game plan. They know exactly what they're trying to do. Because if you haven't got the best players, and there's no doubt about it, Crystal Palace haven't got as good a players as some of the other teams in the Barclays Premier League. So you have to be better all organised. You have to have a game plan that will cause the opposition problems and you have to be focused week in, week out on what you're trying to do. So that's why I think they need a coach rather than just a man manager who's going to come in and give them that little lift for two or three weeks.
2: Well then, give us a name.
4: Well, I can't give you a name just off the top of my head, (laughs) but uh, I'm sure there's plenty that will be in for the job.
2: I bet there are. Well, as for Everton, this was their second goalless draw in a row and it seems then slipped to sixth place. They had almost three quarters of the possession of the match, but worryingly, they didn't create a great deal.
4: Yeah, I've seen Martinez... uh, his sides play at Wigan where on occasions they look as they can open up the opposition with crisp passing, forward movement doing things at a high tempo. I've also seen his Wigan sides play too slowly and that's exactly what Everton did against Crystal Palace. Lots of possession but sometimes passing for the sake of passing, keeping the ball, keeping possession but there has to be that penetration, there has to be that forward movement you have to have your centre forward running in between defenders, you have to have midfield players running beyond your centre forward at times and that didn't happen enough against Crystal Palace and that's why they didn't score a goal.
2: Well that's just about it for this week. There are no Barclays Premier League matches this weekend because of international fixtures. So before we go, Stuart, what would you say has been the highlight of your weekend, footballing-wise?
4: The highlight of my weekend was definitely Tim Krull's performance. It was outstanding. I was right behind one or two of the saves that he made when he didn't look as though he had any chance of getting there. So that's my highlight of the weekend.
2: Okay, why don't you tweet us your highlights to at Barclays footy with a Y. We're looking at the Barclays Premier League table. Arsenal still on top, but just a two-point gap from second-place Liverpool. And then there are just four points separating second place and eighth place Manchester City. Now, looking at the bottom three, Fulham have slipped in there after that heavy defeat at Liverpool. Sunderland, second bottom and Crystal Palace, six points from safety, but also with a far inferior goal difference to Stoke City. So, Stuart, will your old club Arsenal still be top at Christmas, you reckon?
4: Yes, I think they will because I don't think the other sides have been consistent enough. I think Arsenal are playing some good football. And even though they lost at Manchester United, I still think they came out of that game full of confidence because I think in the second half, they outplayed Manchester United and I think they will be top come Christmas.
2: Well, thanks very much for your company, Stuart. And before we go, don't forget to have a try at this week's trivia teaser against Newcastle on Sunday. Spurs goalkeeper Brad Friedel became one of only four players over the age of 42 to have played in a Barclays Premier League match. Can you name the other three? If you think you know the answer, tweet it to at Barclays Footy with a Y or post it on the Barclays football Facebook page and we'll reveal the answer on the site later in the week. There are, of course, no Barclays Premier League fixtures this weekend due to the international break, but we'll still be back next week for a special show where we'll be reviewing what's been a highly unpredictable first quarter of the season. But until then, from Stuart Robson and me, Jackie Oatley, it's goodbye.
1: You've been listening to the official podcast of the Barclays Premier League, brought to you by Barclays.